Welcome to Gamers Tavern Lucky episode 13. In this episode we have Ivan Van Norman from King of the Geeks fame, but King of the Nerds actually. King of the Nerds? Yes, that's the name of the show and uh he presented us very very well there I believe. Okay, I probably have it right in the show notes but if that's the only thing you know him from you're missing out a lot because he's also a pretty accomplished game designer as well and tonight we're talking about kitchen sink settings so grab a drink from the bar and take a seat at the table in the corner and we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor have you been looking for a dark fantasy rpg setting are you interested in seeing a new take on the action horror genre then you should check out accursed Accursed is a setting for the Savage Worlds RPG created by me, Ross Watson, and my good friends Jason Marker and John Dunn. It is a world where the heroes are monsters who fight for redemption against the witches who have conquered their land. To find out more about Accursed, search for Accursed on drivethroughrpg.com. Accursed is now on sale there and in many other fine retailers for gaming PDFs. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy Accursed. Hello and welcome to episode 13, Lucky 13, of the Gamers Tavern Podcast. I'm your host, Ross Watson. And I'm Daryl Mott Jr. And And, uh, I'm the special guest, Ivan Van Norman, I guess. (laughs) That's right, we have Ivan Van Norman with us tonight, and we're going to be talking about uh, kitchen sink games. That's both the, the setting and the system. And before we get into that, we always like to introduce our guests to our listeners and kind of tell them, you know... Who, the, who you are and where they can find you and things like that. Ivan, can you tell us about your gaming character sheet? Yeah, my character sheet. Um, well, I I wish I could say it was as awesome as some of the character sheets I've made in the past, but uh, <laughs> um, I the one would best say that uh, in, in the tabletop world, I am uh, kind of known for being a kid that was on a show one time. That is actually the season two is going to probably air this time next month. Um, mid-January, uh, called King of the Nerds, so I was a season one contestant on it, last man standing, as they say. So, But I also am part of a publishing company with a couple other partners called Hunter's Books, which makes the role-playing game Outbreak Undead, which is a zombie survival role-playing game. So Nice. Uh, yes, and I have to say, just because I'm a fanboy, I'm a huge fan of Ivan from his work on King of the Nerds. And Outbreak Undead, I'm very familiar with it too because that's the one where you play basically yourself. You like all the rules right. are set up to be extremely realistic and and to basically model you as yourself in the zombie apocalypse. We we really favor like the realism element of of zombie role playing games, and and yeah, that's one of our key things is you can actually play yourself as a character. You can go to our website, take a forty question personality test, and it'll pop out your core stats if you were to play yourself as a character. So. And and there's a uh, there's a great tagline for that game, isn't it? <laughs> we even trademarked it. Um, <laughs> it's called uh, "Your Zombie Survival Plan Will Fail." Did you think of that one? Because that's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's actually it's wonderful because initially that was that's kind of how the inception of the game even started. Is is everyone has a zombie survival plan, especially when we were really playing with this thing when we were in college and we were it was more of an idea than an entity. Um, is is that especially when zombies were starting to climb back into their height like 28 days later, 
kind of rein, reinvigorated the zombie genre in the in the early aughts. Everyone had a zombie survival plan. Always, everyone was always talking about what they would do, and we would listen to these, and we'd be like, okay, cool. What about this, this, and this? And we just came to the conclusion that everybody's zombie survival plan is going to fail. Everyone's you, dead. Do you know what my zombie you know survival what's plan is? <laughs> Go my ahead. zombie survival plan? Yeah. I'm not telling you because you might ate me and then I'd have to kill you. <laughs> you might, I might eat you as a zombie and, and knowing your plan and then you'd have, and you'd have to kill me. Well, no, no. You might ape my plan. You might steal oh, my ideas. Okay. And go to the same places see, I'd go and, and everything. And, you know, and then we'd just be fighting over it. So why would I tell you? Well, yeah. And see, I would take my chance of survival. I would take a separate vantage point to that on that and be like, in, instead, it's, uh, if you would come with preparedness, I would, uh, if I felt you were a viable entity in my zombie survival plan, I would instead try to court and woo you into coming into my plan with me <laughs> if I thought you were a viable <laughs> asset to bring into it. Because I tell you what, I have, I have, I own land out in Gerlock. And there ain't nothing on it yet, but come day when shit goes down, that's going to be the first place I'm heading to. Castle so. Ivan. <laughs> you know what's right. hilarious is when uh, the movie 28 Days Later came out, I initially thought it was a sequel to the Sandra Bullock rom-com 28 Days. <laughs> oh, I, I heard like, that story. Wow, that's yeah. uh, pretty, uh, pretty different. That's a saucy sequel. <laughs> Well, we've gotten into movies a little bit here, and just before we were starting, Ivan was talking about something else you may know him from, in a way, so oh, did you want well, to tell no, the audience? I, we, we were talking a little bit about audio engineering and just, uh, you know, animation. synchronization and animation, and I, I, was a, I was a post-production associate on uh, Kung Fu Panda for about a year and a half. I still have my, my giant cast gift. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a, a 124th scale Poe that sits on my shelf. Um, and uh, yeah, that that was fun. Like it was weird being in a in the DreamWorks environment was wonderful. Like it's a really awesome studio to be at. It's just you, you, there's also like all the things that come with being in a large corporate environment like that, you know. And then I worked as an assistant editor on a smaller film, which just came out finally after I think I had I think I it still had another two years of development even after I left it. It was um, did you see that? Did you see that little uh, Thanksgiving uh, treat by the name of Freebirds? Oh, I've I've heard of it. I didn't see it, but I heard of it. I didn't see it either. <laughs> but I worked on that sucker for a year. I don't think oh, cool. I, I don't think I got credited for that. But I was uh, I worked <laughs> under um a very a very respectable ASC editor for a while. So well, I'm gonna have to. You, you guys are gonna have to forgive me because uh, I'm gonna geek out just a little bit here. Uh, I was a huge watcher of King of the Nerds when uh, the first season came out, and I couldn't have been prouder. Or more excited to see Ivan representing my tribe, the role-playing game guys, oh. and it, it was obvious to me. And I and I just want to say, you know, it's fantastic that that you were able to, you know, kind of show this off. Not only were you really skilled in in a number of uh, areas that were appropriate to the show, but you also had obviously had the leadership feat. That's really <laughs> sweet, Ross. I, that that means a ton to me. Uh, you know, it was weird because I, um, I did. I felt like I was like the tabletop kid, and I wanted that. Even though there was a lot of other people on there who were into tabletops, I felt like, okay, well, I'm treating. I wanted to treat this like the best game. It is. That's how I truly felt. I was like, this wasn't a competition. I wasn't here for money. Like, I just was going to play games, play an amazing game with a bunch of other people. You know. So, yeah. 
And I kept telling myself as we were getting closer and closer to the end, it's like, if I win this, I'm going to win the best game. This is going to be the <laughs> best game. I'm going to win. Just That's how I felt. It's just one big board game to me. Yeah. You know? So that came with all of the luck of chance that we all know and love as part of this <laughs> hobby as well, too. It's just some things completely outside of my control. But, hey, at that time, you just take the dice rolls and work with what you got. You know? Well, I thought, you know, again, just saying that the team – whenever there was a team competition or team challenge – uh, it, it really seemed like to me you stepped up and said, "All right, guys, here's what we're going to do," and you, you know, you you led you led your group to victory many, many times. Well, so, thank you. So, good job. I appreciate that. It was fun. I'm excited <laughs> for this new cast too, and they seem like they got a very different batch of kids. So I'm very interested to see how it turns out. So. Well, I'm going to have to restrain myself because otherwise I could just keep on talking about this for right. a really yeah. long time. So I'm going to kitchen sink, kitchen sink systems. <laughs> well, well, first uh, we'll get to that. Um, yeah, go I'm ahead, just kind of curious. Uh, what's everyone been playing this week? What have we been gaming? playing? Yeah, good. This is the next part we get into. So right. Okay. So um, Ross, I'm. I. Why don't you start? I'm very okay, curious a, as to what you're playing. That's so. a really good point. Um, I have been playing uh, two games with my local gaming group. And I, I actually mentioned this last episode. We're uh, we're kind of doing a blast of the past. First of all, we're playing the 1980s TSR Marvel superheroes game, hmm, okay. uh, which is our sort of filler game uh, when we have a, a, a guy who can't come to the to the main game. Right. And uh, man, that is for like a rules light system that came out you know 30 years ago. It's actually really fun. That's I, cool. I just love throwing some dice and pretending to be a superhero and. Uh, it, it is pretty sweet. And then the, the main game we're playing right now is uh, Accursed, which is my setting for Savage Worlds. Uh, that's right. So how's how's that going, by the way? Oh, man, it's it's going really well. Uh, my group just recently invaded a flying airship to uh, try to destroy an invention <laughs> that would otherwise uh, be able to pick out the witch marks in the city and, and the ruling council of the warlocks would be able to uh, track down all of the... the, the the insurgents that's going on in their city, See, and yeah, it would have been it was it was it would have been really bad. So they, they delicious. That. See, that's the best. It's one of my favorite things about role players is we all have an amazing story to tell about a game that we've played or multiple games. It's, oh, yeah. it's just you know, and inherently we tell stories whether we are participants or tellers of it because we are all we're all participants in our own way. So you know, and uh, who wants to go next? Uh, Ivan, you can go ahead and go. Sure. Yeah. No. I've. Um. Let's see. Uh, ironically, we are. Uh, the last. The last thing that I. I played really hard and really. Um. Intrinsically was. I've been really hot on dread lately. So I don't oh. know if you've played Dread at all, especially for when Halloween was around. Like I, I ran, that was when I first ran it, but I've been running a couple other standalones since yeah, then. We actually missed Dread on our Halloween games episode. How did but we it's miss come up Dread? Since, but oh, it, it, it's come up since on the podcast. I, talking I, about uh, I, tension. And I know it's an, I know it's like an it's not a, it's a really thin book. It, it's like a it's almost like a paperback, you know. But as far as how it's written and just the the concept of like I, every time I describe it, I keep using the word. It's a glorified ghost story system. You know, so because that's all you're really doing is you're telling a, a ghost story and you're having your players participate it by building tension, um, pulling blocks from a Jenga tower. That's right. We did rolls. talk about that in the building you tension know? one. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it's it's um it, it because you have an arbitrary thing, a Jenga tower, which it's just blocks. Like, I don't know, there's something about just like a, um, a stack of blocks that no matter what, you know, builds tension, whether you want it to or not or whether you mean to. And um, if you use that in a storytelling element, I thought it was a great use of essentially a, a basic third party, you could say, tool. And it's it, it, it really works well because it's 
your instinct when you see something like that all stacked up nice and neat is, I want to knock that over. Right. But when you add in the horrible negative consequences to knocking it over, you're kind of pulled in both directions. You've got, you've still got that instinctive, I want to kick over the sandcastle, but the sandcastle, I want to make this, the sandcastle look awesome. But the sandcastle could also be my death and my way out of the game. Like it could just mean my end, you know, and I I, I I really want to play this game. If I had a Jenga tower, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you, I actually have been, since I've been playing it, I've been, in my mind, I've been um, wrapping my head around this charity event that I really want to do, like this horror charity event where we live cast a um, game of Dread. Oh, like, wow. Put mood lighting in it, because it's a, it's a pretty short game, all things considered. We could probably get away with even doing it in like two, maybe two and a half hours if we, everyone's really yeah. doing their thing, you know? Wow, and, I wish I lived in your area, because I would totally be in for that. Yeah, it'd be a, so I'm. I might play with that. It just depends on who I can get on board, who would be interested enough to, and then have, getting the multi-camera setup. Which there's a couple venues here in LA, just a couple, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably get that done. Well, I'll tell you what. If you come up with, you know, a, a website or something for this thing, be sure and mention it to us because we will be happy to mention it on the air. That'd be great. No, I appreciate it. It's just one of a couple things. And the other thing we've been, I've been playing a ton is we're beta testing a couple of our new titles that we're hoping to release for Gen Con this year as All well, right. too. So one's a, a, a Misfit Game of Alchemy deck building game. Mm. So, yes, um, I'll leave it at that because we're, we're, still, we're still, still fleshing out the core mechanics okay. of it a little bit. So, um, What about yeah. you, Daryl? What have you been up to? I have still been working on my uh, my conversion of Temple of Elemental Evil into Next, fiddling with that, trying to get things together. It's Getting gamers around in a small town can sometimes be like herding cats, right. trying to work with the schedules of 30-somethings and work and everything else. So we haven't actually gotten a chance to make characters or anything, so I've just been plowing through converting that. But I did have the weirdest thing happen to me. It kind of involves the podcast because there was some equipment that I ordered to... I'm working on upgrading our and getting like a full-fledged studio going for Gamers Tavern. And one of the pieces of equipment I ordered happened to be along with... And we're recording this uh, December 17th for the record because I'm talking about Christmas presents. I had my presents for my parents that I ordered from Amazon. And I've got Amazon Prime, of course, so I got my two-day shipping. And I ordered it and uh, ordered it on Friday. And then on Monday, nothing. It's still sitting in Dallas. Tuesday, mm-hmm. still sitting in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Wednesday, and I'm just like, the hell? This was supposed to be here, like, friggin' Monday. What's going on? And nothing happens. Thursday, which, if you follow me on Twitter, you remember this rant. Daryl? Ranting? I, That's crazy. Oh, God, Never no. Happens. Who would ever? Yeah. Uh, no, I was livid at this, because I looked up, nothing's been updated, the thing hasn't moved since then. My digital recorder, $300 plus Zoom digital recorder for the podcast, my $100 microphone that I had ordered for the podcast, plus my Christmas presents for my parents, no clue where they're at. I have ordered stuff since then at this point, I ordered stuff on Monday and Tuesday that had already come in, this stuff's still sitting somewhere. So, I get in touch with UPS. UPS tells me, uh... Sucks to be you. There's ice in Dallas. And I'm like, then how come the other stuff went through? Well, we processed all the other stuff, but some of the backlogs. No, you push the backlog through first, then you get to the other stuff. What is wrong with you people? Do you not know how to organize anything? I'm not saying this to the customer service rep. I'm being nice and polite and civil. I actually went to the chat so I could type to them instead of calling them so I wouldn't scream at them. 
because I knew I would. And here's the long and short of it. I call Amazon. Amazon is nice and wonderful and sweet. They contact UPS, Mm -hmm. find out that UPS has now claimed that the packages are lost. Gone. Mm. Poof. Amazon instantly refunds my money and says, if you want to reorder them, we'll give you one day overnight shipping. Awesome. I'm like, cool. I reorder everything. Comes today, this afternoon. I have two packages sitting on my front step. So there's a happy ending. It's happy, but this is where it just starts getting weird. I have got one package, which has my entire order. Then I have another package that has my entire order. Whoops. They found (laughs) the lost package and shipped it to me. So you have doubles. Do you get to keep both? I had doubles. Yeah. And apparently the the nice lady from Amazon was completely utterly shocked whenever I got in contact with her to say this because apparently they would have never found out about it. I could have kept it. I was like, the thought hadn't even crossed my mind. I'm like, I've got something I didn't pay for. I must return it. Well, you know, it's actually, that's actually probably a better thing because if you think about it, like one, Amazon sounds like they were super cool and being like, okay, mm -hmm. we're going to contact UPS and figure out what the hell's going on with your package. And when they, made a big stink about it because of course it's UPS and every and the holidays everyone's buying everything and and you know like the shipping is probably crazy around this time of year so yeah. um but is there two, some kind of event happening this time of year maybe, I'm, I'm unaware of? there might be some gift giving exchange that involves <laughs> uh, there's a little you know, holiday known as Saturnalia people. that you might oh Saturnalia yeah keep keep Saturn in Saturnalia that's what I say <laughs> and uh, um but then that's that's that, I think that was a good guess of you or, or a good act of you though to be honest with him and be like hey by oh, the way did, i got both packages said, it didn't even so. cross it's like i got something that wasn't mine right i, I contacted them and said hey this because i figured worst case scenario it's like oh hey can you ship this back to us here's a gift card for your trouble which is exactly right. what happened That's best awesome. case scenario it's like oh go ahead and keep it well which i'm sure they probably would have done if it had been like 20 30 20 bucks. Bucks. if it yeah. had been the bo- one of the board games that i ordered i'm sure yeah. that's what they would have done right. not the two three four hundred dollars worth of electronics i'd say that was uh very heroic of you and speaking of heroics and heroes why don't we start talking about our kitchen sink settings and systems sure so uh, see how i said segued right into that as smooth as butter as smooth, and except for then you had to acknowledge it, which then made it a little less buttery than it could have been. So, well, you know, maybe that butter's been sitting out a little too long. But anyway, so is this superhero system you've been playing? Is that what's prompted you to to kind of talk about this kitchen sink scenario? Well, well he um, also talks about rifts and Torg on this podcast a lot too. Yeah, oh, I was actually, enough. I would say more. I was thinking of games like Torg and Rifts, but that's like you know, in terms of setting, obviously. Um, system wise, though, you. I, th- I think we we have a, a whole different array of things to talk about, but why don't actually we start with you know maybe answering that question, Ivan? What do you say? What do you think when someone says to you "kitchen sink RPG"? What what does that bring to mind? You know, it's weird because we've actually people have described Outbreak Undead as kind of a kitchen sink setting just because it's so open. It's 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 almost like a, it's sandboxy in the way that you can just. It, it it doesn't limit itself to like one outbreak scenario or one outbreak level. Like it does, it's not just a setting that says, "Hey, begin the outbreak when all this shit goes down," or it doesn't say, "Hey, do it when it's ten or fifteen years later." Here's all the post-apocalyptic stuff. It kind of 
encompasses everything in between. And then all the different zombie types as well, too, whether you want to do, like, rampaging, rage-fueled 28 Days Later or the lumbering Romero types. It's, it's you know, and it's, it's, it's all in one book, too. It's a 456-page tome, you know. So I've noticed that the bigger the book, usually the more all-encompassing it can <laughs> tend to be. Um, well, that's you know. definitely true for systems, I would say. If you look at, like, uh, Champion 6 Edition, they had to break it up to multiple books. It was so big. Right, and, yeah. Uh, I, I hear Numenera is in a, in a similar path as well, too, like, you know, as far that, as, like... That may be true. I'm not really familiar with Numenera, but that's a really... Uh, yeah, I want to say it's, like, four or five hundred for the core book, something like that. Yeah. Uh, the Strange is a lot smaller, but it has it's a lot more of what I think of for Kitchen Sink. It's, well, and it, like, sliders, portals sort it, of thing. And if you're talking about... Are we talking about systems or settings? Like, is that the well, distinction can, I'd like to make? I was going to try and just kind of ask, you know, right... I was going to start off by saying, like, you know, what do we think it is, and then maybe dive into it. But if you want, okay. we can just go right ahead and start I, I feel like they're kind of one and the same in a weird way. Like, a Kitchen Sink setting, it's supposed to be you know, all-encompassing, right? Like, just throw everything out there and you make the choices. Putting it ultimate, even if it might be a little bit intimidating and overwhelming to, like, a new player picking it up, it's supposed to be catering towards the 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 player who wants to have everything to their disposal at all times. You Is know? this... Are you, are you kind of drawing a, a connection between kitchen sink and player agency? Like, you, you mentioned sandboxing. So you're, you're... In your mind, if I'm understanding you correctly... A kitchen sink setting is not one where the the uh, game master is the primary agent and saying, okay, you know, an old man in a tavern hires you to do X. Instead, right. it's where the players say, I want to go out to this place and do this thing, and it's my well, I'm the agent of that. I choice. think I think I mean it's just about choices because at the end of the day, the GM has to be able to allow a scenario that has those that type of choices as well too. Like it, it, using Outbreak Undead as an example, I could do a what in my opinion like a linear path storyline like that where I'm setting up. I'm setting up encounters, and I'm pre-planning like how things are going down. But one of the beauties that I love about our system is is that, uh, and I've done this at conventions, I've randomly rolled every single variable for that scenario, and I've just played it on the fly. You know, mm-hmm. like the system is fluid enough that uh, you know, as long as I'm comfortable enough with the system, I can, like you're saying, player agents. I can I can react from them instead of them reacting from me. Okay. You know? Well, um, let's let's put this question over to Daryl. What do you think of when you think of uh, kitchen sink game? Yeah. Well, I actually had a little bit of problem figuring out exactly because because this topic was Ross's idea because he's the one that's, that's right. Really Blame it on me. This systems. is all my <laughs> fault. Oh no 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 no! no. <laughs> it's a really good topic with a lot to talk about, especially since I started wrapping my head around exactly what it is. But uh, at this before I started out, kitchen sink to me meant generic, meant you could throw anything in you wanted, like, you know, GURPS or oh, okay. uh, even Fate or something like that. That's what I thought of when I thought of systems. And then Ross started talking about settings that were kitchen sink. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that would be a setting where you have everything. And come on, we've all, when we were kids, ran that game where, okay, here's the world we're playing in in D&D. This continent's Ravenloft. This continent's Dark Sun. This continent's Forgotten Realms. Right. And you're going to bounce around all between them. It was kind of a kitchen sink D&D world. So you could get a little bit of everything, is what, yeah. is what I'm and hearing. The, right. Yeah, and then, and then TSR kind of codified that with a real kitchen sink setting in Planescape in a way. Um. Yeah, I you know, I've got to admit, like for me, you know, some of my earliest memories of Dungeons & Dragons when we were playing as kids... Uh, some of the more memorable ones is when Frost Giants walked out with M16s grenades. <laughs> and, you know, that was... Uh. 
that was us being kids and just like, wouldn't it be cool if, you know? Right. Okay. Uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't any kind of, uh, you wanted to throw a little, a little fun just to, yeah. cause, cause who yeah. doesn't want, I'm actually reading a book right now called the destroyer men where the whole thing takes place in like a fantasy world where there's like lizard men versus cat people, but there's happens to be two world war two destroyers in the world, you know, uh, well. that's kind of out of nowhere, but you know, I'm going to have to read that now. <laughs> it's, it's actually I, I, it sounds super corny and then when I read the back of the book I was like really but then I saw it had great reviews and I started listening to it and now I can't put it down so, so so yeah I would have to say for me like kitchen sink always brings to mind a little bit of everything or, sure. or just the opportunity to have multiple genres and tropes all kind of huh. mingling together in one place you know I and that's that's where I'm coming from and okay uh, so let's I mean I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this out there it's, we're we're very open and and, and and we're a very sandboxy, I guess you would say, uh, podcast here. <laughs> Do we want to talk about systems first or settings first? Well, I have to tell you, like, now that I've heard your explanation of it, Ross, like, I'm really, I'm totally interested in what you have to say in regards, because I think uh, my interpretation of Kitchen Sink and yours are <laughs> different ends of the spectrum. But... Well, you know, that's totally okay. Yeah, that's but... That's um... totally fine. But I'd love to hear what we're thinking in regards to, to like, a systems that allow for... Uh, and, and, you know, just to throw arbitrary words out there, like classical settings, modern settings, sci-fi settings, okay. all of that into, so, like, one place. Well, with with systems, I mean, there's there's quite a few, but, like, the first ones that come to mind, um, I believe, are, are really, like, the universal systems. And sure. those, are, those are games that are really designed, for, and, and I'm going to draw a line here, because there are games that are designed to be universal, and mm-hmm. there are games that have been adapted to become universal. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a good example. Um, for I would actually say Dungeons & Dragons was adapted to become a universal system. Uh, especially in the D20 or the 3rd Right, edition. I was going to say, the, or the OGL D20 right. type it was, of era. It was no. designed to mimic a particular style of play, which was, you know, uh, I would say high fantasy. Uh, I'm not going to say everyone believes that, but it's the, I think it was designed to mimic a high fantasy, particularly almost Tolkien-ish kind of trope. And then over the years, it's been adapted and, 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 uh, and modified so that it can sort of support just about anything. And Daryl hit that there's been a few settings along the way that have also, you know, been Dungeons Dragons specific that have touched on multiple genres as well. Well right. So, I mean most most systems that have had that have, you know, gained enough followings or have stretched their legs enough have gone and taken an effort to approach different genres using their system, you know, or or have, you know, reached out like I would say Shadowrun is like a kind of a even if it's not a, even if it's not like a system that is supposed to encompass the the setting around it is supposed to be you well, know, no. modern mixed with high fantasy. Shadowrun's a great example of a system that is also kitchen sink because right. Shadowrun you've got you've got your gun combat, you've got your sword combat, you've got right. your magic, you got your decking, you got summoning spirits. I mean there's there's so many different like, things you can right. tell do. All kinds of stories in Shadowrun, but I wouldn't see Shadowrun as a kitchen sink system more as something that probably came from a kitchen sink system type idea. Like what if we meshed cyberpunk and urban fantasy together? That that's the sort of thing you would see from it's, an, it's a kitchen sink the, setting, but it's not yeah. in and of itself if, kitchen if, sink. But the world's open enough that you can tell all these different kinds of stories. And if there's a dial that has like a, a number on it, you know, 
as far as like how kitchen sink it is, Shadowrun's probably on the low end of that dial. I mean, it, it's there, I would say, but not not very. Well, high. if only thing because I mean, if you're talking about all encompassing, like I mean, like you were saying, and, and just I, I know I've been trying to dance around this, but it, you you've really said it with like GURPS and all of that already. It's like if you have a universal system, then obviously they've had to branch out to give examples of like how do you use our universal system? Well, you can use it in a high fantasy scenario like this one, or you can use it into a sci-fi setting like here. Shadowrun kind of they took them. You could say. Like you said, on the low end of the spectrum, they just took summarized entities that people would use in their yeah. setting from different genres across the board. Well, let's know? let's talk about GURPS really briefly because I think GURPS did something really special. I mean, it's it is a generic universal role playing system. That's what the acronym stands for. But it did something really special in that its product line, I think, is absolutely brilliant. If you are trying to get a capsule summary or or an understand thorough understanding of a particular niche because if you look at the GURPS line of products I mean you can find a book for just about every Anything. single idea yep. you've ever had yep, yep there yep. is if I'm not mistaken GURPS my little pony there's well there's um there's there's a GURPS product for a webcomic called Casey and Andy for crying out loud. Oh, done <laughs> and done so it's like the YouTube of freaking role-playing it systems. It is. It is. It's you can the go YouTube. out and make yes. your own and then post it up somewhere and then you got it, you know? <laughs> and I would say, so if, if, if GURPS is the YouTube, then I would say Champions is kind of the Etsy. Because, oh, okay. Because Champions is also a universal system that was... So while GURPS was, no. was actually designed from the ground up to be universal, Champions was adapted. It was originally superheroes. No, I've, I've it never... It was originally the hero system, right? No, no, no. It was originally Champions. Talking... Okay, so we're talking about hero system and champions are two different things. Then, well, or? they're not. They are and they're not. They're okay. They're they're both from from champions was born in the hero system. And okay, hero system and champions are for all intents and purposes interchangeable. Now, I have to say, I've never, I haven't played champions. Um, but uh, this is a question, and that I think is appropriate for you know kitchen sink. What we've defined as kitchen sink settings a little bit too. Are kitchen sink systems good? for new players who are maybe new to the hobby? Uh, well, some are better Analysis than others. paralysis. Some are better than others. Analysis uh, paralysis. Thank you, yes. Because yeah. my gut reaction would first say, you know, the, the more all-encompassing you are, the more choices you give a new player who is learning a system, yeah. the more likely they are to be overwhelmed quickly. Now, on the flip you know? side of that, I think it's really, really good for an experienced game master to introduce new players because they can control what options they can tailor okay. the game that to I what those see. players like. So if you've got friends who aren't really into the fantasy thing, aren't really into the heart, you like can use it. You can use it like a transitionary thing. tool. Exactly. To it's like, give okay, them... what are you? What are you into? I really like Star Trek and and Outlaw Star and just have them name off the Cowboy like, Bebop. Okay, yeah. yeah grab, okay, I grab this book and this book and this book off the GURP shelf, and this is what I'm going to introduce them. I have now created my own system that hits the yeah. genre notes they want. Sure. So uh, to to continue like the the Etsy metaphor, I think the reason why I mentioned that is because um, you know the Etsy is about building things and how to build your own things, and uh, Champions is really that tinkerer's tools toolkit that kind of says okay. here's all the tools to make what you need, but it's not as thoroughly presenting like what's already there, like GURPS did. And if you want to talk about, if you want to talk about though the ones that are um, more uh, user friendly for the uh, for new players, Fate, Fate, and Savage Worlds are the first that come to mind. Yep. yep, 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 yep. I would agree. I'm especially since um, it's interesting because Savage Worlds has again it, talking about a system that has created enough of a grassroots 
that they can go and oh, yeah, say here here are the now the areas we're only just starting to do that with with our stuff now we we released a, it's digital only but we're working on the the print version of it we released a sci-fi module for outbreak undead called outbreak deep space you know? <laughs> nice nice so, so you can run your zombie survival plan in space like that type of thing but i mean savage worlds has already like <laughs> they've they've gone above the milestone the pirate <laughs> space opera right uh, what, did, what did i call it ravenloft on crack right yeah, yeah dark fantasy with with monsters is the Deadlands. Heroes. I mean, it's westerns. Yeah, it's like, zombie it's western. Yeah. So. so, so Savage Worlds is definitely there. Fate is definitely there, and it's growing too because there's, uh, you know, Dresden Files already, and there's right. Strands of Fate, and I think there's a, a, a Diaspora, there, uh, right? Isn't uh, that Fate? Uh, Spor- no, uh, Spore is its own system. Okay. That one, that one was designed. I, I talked to the designers at a lot of the cons here in Texas because they're at all of them. But that one was kind of designed to be as generic as possible. They just slapped a uh, fantasy steampunk face on it. The rule system behind it is very generic, though. So okay. that's one thing they've been talking about is taking the rule set they've already made and putting a different genre on it. And then there's uh, um, so- basic role play. I think is the other one I would say is, is universal. Okay. Yeah. And, and I mean, let's, let's, let's just briefly talk about that. Cause I think, you know, I don't want our listeners to get the wrong idea. These games are fine. There, there's nothing wrong with it being universal, no. um, but there's a distinct difference between a game system that's designed to echo particular tropes. Uh, for example, uh, world of darkness, the RPGs are very specifically designed for a particular type of game particular tone right even if they do it across the, i mean the, yeah. they cover their genre pretty even if wild, i can play a werewolf you know? in a mage chronicle uh, it's there are still very specific things that are right it's a tone yeah. that is set in their setting which is and that's and, and that's kind of i think what we're going to be talking about next is like settings how do they yeah. cover because there's a lot of examples of like you know it's still a very genre set setting but they just they're really almost in a world building way they're just very detailed about it so ivan know? have you ever so. Have you been a GM or a player in a game that has used one of these universal systems before? Uh, I played GURPS, and um, I, if you wanted to go into it, uh, I've done OGLs. Um, I, um, my other lead developer, Chris De La Rosa, who helped us write Outbreak Undead, um, he he pretty much writes systems in his sleep. So we'd sometimes just take, you know, we just kind of have fun with systems that and play them into our own sense. So the OGL has been, you know delicately and lovingly lifted up and put back down into lots of different stuff that we've done over the years. So, But I haven't actually GM'd a universal system now that I think about it. Here's the reason why I haven't, and it has to do specifically with, I've brought this up on the podcast many times before, the group that I play with. The second I would like to try to run a generic system mm-hmm. and say, okay, I want to run a game in this type of world. Are you guys interested in playing? Yes! Two weeks later, okay, I've got the first adventure written up. Let's go ahead and make characters. Okay, I grabbed all the source books you said, but also this one, this one, this one, and this one, and this one. So I'm going to take your kind of Cthulhu-esque modern-day setting, and I'm going to create a cyberware troll. Got it. Like, if you wanted that, we could have played Shadowrun. Right. Uh, But that's the the problem I have and the reason why I haven't run a lot of them. When I was living in Austin, though, which has a a lot more diverse gaming crowd than my little small town here... There were a lot more people who were running that sort of thing, and I have kind of dropped in and eve dropped on a lot of them. And it wasn't until Ross and I, just before the show, were talking about this that I kind of realized I actually have run for that really kind of insane group. I kind of have run a generic game, uh, and it because we talked about how 
D20 got kind of adapted and shifted around to all these, uh, both by OGL companies and by Wizards of the Coast themselves. They did uh, Star Wars as a D20 game. They did Call right. of Cthulhu as D20 a D20 modern. game. Right. They did C20 Modern. I keep forgetting about that. Thank you for unrepressing that memory. <laughs> not that it was a bad system. It just started off not that great, and they didn't pay enough attention to it to get it working. There's no opinion. hate on but, this podcast. But <laughs> it, but D20 Modern did directly inspire something I did run, which was an OGL-based system called True 20, yes. which is a generic system. And I have heard of True 20. I actually have a friend of mine who designed some stuff for True 20, and that is Green okay. Ronin's uh, game. Oh, well. okay, okay. Yeah. So how yeah, does that is, how does that how does that kind of um, distinguish itself away from like the it's, the, it's, the OGL stuff? Well, it's it's basically it takes like the D and D or it takes like the D and D and the D twenty modern uh, uh, system reference documents, mm-hmm. puts them together in a way that kind of makes sense, so it'll spread across genres, and then they just layer like eighteen tons of errata on top of it to make it Got work it. right okay. and streamlines everything. It is a lot easier to run than either of the two systems are on their own in my opinion they're just not quite as in-depth for the genres they're trying to do because that's can be one of the flaws of a generic system when you're trying to cover everything you can't go into as much detail unless you're like gurps and release 400 source right so you you have a little bit of a water down everything so you can't cover it to the degree that you would like to but But it also brings up something that we covered in our D&D episode which is rules versus rulings right uh, true 20 works very well if you're a rulings type of a DM where you will actually make judgment calls based on, on the what's going on in the system. Exactly. Which is fair. If and I actually believe in the power of that heavily. Like as long, I mean, it, 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 and it's something that you, it's like a sidekick when you're a martial artist. It's like you do it all the time, but you get better and better and better and better at yep. it. Even if it's one of the first things you learn, you get better and better and better at it as you do it more and more and more. So what's really know. sad is I instantly thought of Ernie Ray's junior, but there you go. <laughs> I actually wanted well, to ask badass as a nine year old. <laughs> He's badass as any year old. <laughs> now I'm just immediately picturing. I can't. Even, I can never remember the name of the movie. I just remember that song and show enough. Oh, you mean Barry Gordy's? In, uh, it's uh, the, the last, the last dragon. dragon. Yeah, the last dragon, starring Vanity. Yeah. Oh man, that's yep. a brilliant film. I love that. Film. And it had Ernie Rhys. I, 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 I can't his believe first on-screen a... appearance as a kick-ass eight-year-old. That's a. Uh, I've never. I've never. This sounds amazing. I've, I'm not. Oh my god! Yes, the last dragon. Yeah, you have to see it. It is must must fun. see. Absolutely. Okay. Must see. It's about. It's about a guy who has grown up idolizing Bruce Lee. In fact, his name is Bruce Leroy. Ah. Uh, so. <laughs> it's ba- it's basically it. the Dracula to Blackula. This is the Bruce Lee uh, Blackula to... in a way. It's it's. Okay. You can tell watching it. It's not trying to be offensive or try to cater to that. It's trying to parody that black exploitation movement in a way. Well, he's right. got one of the best villains so, of all time, which is Shonuff. Shonuff. Sh- the Shogun Show of Harlem. No. Who is just amazing. All right, no. You know what? We, we can Put talk about away. that forever. Um, I, but it, actually, I had, a, I had a question that I was... Because um, I, 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 I heard what you had said about you know your character taking all the... You know you saying, these are the source books I'm going to use, and then your, your player took... In a, in like a very outlandish thing, and you were just going to say, "Hey, let's just do Shadowrun if that's going to be the case." Now, do you think a universal system that's one of its one of its maybe disabilities? Um, if, that that might even be too strong of a word, but is is that by having a generic system? If at the end of the day, if you're pointing towards a, a genre that might already be in the system already, was there already something out there that might already be done? I'd like to address that if I could. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I think. There, 
are some strengths and weaknesses to the approach of a generic universal system. And for me, I, it always kind of comes down to what you just hit upon, which is the, the role and effort that the GM has to put into it, right? Right. On, on, on the, the social front, because it's wide open and there isn't really uh, an adventuring paradigm in place, you as a GM kind of have to be very... Uh, you have to be a lot more engaged with your players to tell them, here's what the game is going to be about, here's the type of people you're going to be playing, and getting them all on board, get them all on the same page, is a little more difficult because you're lacking some of those tools. Sure. In addition to that, in terms of just the sheer mechanics, I think that there's a little more effort required to just sort of build the specific things you need in a universal system because most of these don't really have a, a core setting or if they do, you usually have to tweak it. You know, I, I'm sorry, this is just not coming out right. But well, as a GM, are, I most think most of them you, do have settings. Even GURPS has a core setting. They, they have. I them, know yeah. almost no one who uses the GURPS That's, core setting, though. I think right. the reason you buy the, the setting in the first place, if it's universal, is so you can make your own thing. That's what I was getting to. Uh, but so if, yeah, if and, and, but if, and if you're a person who likes to do that, though, like, is that no. do you want to do that work yourself, or do you just want to go out and find the the comparable system? Well, that's, and then bring that into your players. Well, that's where I think the universal system has a real strength, though, is it allows you to build exactly what you want. Right? And it has a real strength when it comes to, uh, especially either with new players or players that are kind of set in their ways and they get older and don't have a lot of time to sit there. If you can't. If it's someone who's not like a college student or a high school student where you can sit there and you can schedule like three, four, five different game nights in a week. Right. It's really helpful to be able to tell all these different types of stories and run all these different types of games and different genres without having to learn a completely new rule system every time you change. Yeah. And I'm See, gonna... I'm, I'm actually going to speak against that because I feel like it's actually in the opposite in some other ways. Because even if, a, if that's assuming that you, your, your, your core group of players, assuming that you just have one core group of players that you play with all the time, has learned that system early into it, and because they don't want to learn a new system, they just carry that legacy forward. If that's the case and they've learned it early and that's what they're comfortable and they stick with it throughout the entire time, then I totally agree with you. You. But if you're trying to discover what you want, or if you have a, a group of players that like wants to do something um, and get into that moment, because I have I have a group of, of friends who, when the, we get into role playing, we get really passionate about one thing, and it, we might burn out, we might burn it, and you know get over it very quickly. But you know when we're going to explore that, we're going to explore it hard, hard and fast. You know. Yeah, exactly, and, and that's where I think like a universal system is really good for that. If you want to do a very short burn campaign, or if you want to do like a one-off. Uh, like, for example, I, I have a Venture Brothers game that I run at, at conventions, and okay. I totally use a universal system for that, because it's just very easy to layer Venture Brothers on top of it. I guess that's and It can valid. be a lot easier to talk people into jumping into a game. It's like, hey, I've got this really idea, cool idea for a campaign setting. Do you guys want to play? We're using Blah System. You already know that, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time teaching you the rules over it. Sure. You, Do you want you know, to give it a shot? Yeah. It allows you to focus on the things that are most important to you. If system is not the key thing for you, then... That this is this is going to fill that that. Uh, I would I would uh, I I get into it. I just um I'm just continuing to play devil's advocate though. I because because if that's really the case, then then why doesn't everybody use universal systems? Would you say so a I, servant of the forgotten orb? Advocate <laughs> maybe instead. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> yes, Sir. I'm servant of the. Yes, I actually I, at some point when we're not talking about um, RPGs and universal system, I'll tell you the story about how that name came into, <laughs> into being. 
around because right. it was it was literally a throwaway. Like that name <laughs> is is as 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 far as from a throwaway line as you possibly can get. You know, but uh, but if that's really the case, then it, then why isn't the Universal Systems utilized more in especially people who who again, like you're saying, might not be into a might not want to learn a new system all the time and just want to play consistently. Well, the reason why they're not as popular, I think, is probably because of that, that effort that's required. I think most people want to right, play and not prepare. And the sure. games they are going to let you do that are going to be the ones that typically have their setting and their system very heavily interlinked and already, right. already all that stuff's already done for you. You don't have to make a dragon stats because the dragon is already in the game. Is in the game. So you're saying and that actually- a universal system requires a super savvy... GM who is well, really familiar with the system and has a lot of time on their hands. I think I think it requires a little books. more effort than your typical okay. game. That's all I'm saying. And I actually think that it's becoming more popular now because, like I said, we've mentioned a couple of the most popular breakout systems recently. Savage Worlds and Fate are mm-hmm. basically generic systems. They were designed to be able to drop into almost any genre, and they are insanely popular systems, both for designers and players. That's true. Right. Because of that, and I think it might be because of a kind of a shift in the way that gaming is approached, because... When I was growing up, no one played generic systems. Everyone wanted to play Shadowrun, Battletech, and uh, Dungeons and Dragons because guess what? All the novels were being written about. Yeah, right. All the tie-in novels were of those. All the best tie-in novels in fiction for role-playing games, for the most, at least that I read in that era. There are probably great ones for other systems, but those three systems had some of the best fiction for them. So we would read the books and say, "Oh, cool! I want to play in this." Right. You couldn't really do that. You gonna read a GURPS novel? Are you gonna read a? a well, yeah, you know, just... you can write. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like they, they lack since they lack the the strong central. And know, because setting. we've moved away from that in the industry, we've moved to a more modular thing, and especially with uh, the way the internet is, and everyone's got SRDs, so everyone's releasing tons of material because both of those games have some sort of open license. So I can, if I've got a great idea for a Savage Worlds campaign, I can slap it together and throw it on my website. And it's, as long it's, as I'm not making money off of it, depending on... Yeah. I, I don't know Savage World's specific license. Make sure to read it before you do this. I'm not a lawyer. But <laughs> yeah, but well, this you can, is kind you of can throw sh- up your little... You can throw up your thing. And so there's this huge, giant resource now. So instead of statting that dragon, I can go on Google and search for right. Dragon Savage World or Dragon Fate. And I can see someone who's done all this work already and say, okay, that's cool. I can build off this or I can just use it wholesale. Exactly. And because of that, these generic systems are really getting kind of a resurgence in the modern day because of that that's true and i think you know this is actually probably a good time unless we let me, let me actually throw this out there ivan do you have anything else you want to say about kitchen systems before we move on to settings no no i think the systems we've covered pretty well i just um, my curiosity is still I, I actually agree with daryl immensely that there is a lot of ones that are starting to rise in popularity um i just still think there's a pretty uh, i wouldn't say it's like two different camps but i still feel like the it takes a lot like you're saying a lot more effort to break through the kind of more um uh, setting based systems to get into the universal world you know but because of the time and effort and energy that involves in taking like even like you were saying taking the dragon and breaking rules down to make that dragon versus having it already prepared in the system well, for you well i think you, you know so. just just a quick counterpoint to that if you're i think you're you're coming from the standpoint of like a full campaign and oh instead of like a one off system yeah, or just like something for, that you're just playing into for it for one offs i think 
they're this is one of the reasons why they're very very popular is because like I can go I'm going to Genghis Khan which is a gaming convention in Denver um, in yeah and I love it and one of these days I'm going to go to Genghis Khan and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to run a GI Joe game where all the players are <laughs> GI Joe characters from the 80s cartoon yeah right? and if I'm going to if I'm going to do that I'm going to do it in Savage Worlds. That's true. I and if you're right, if you just want to go and you just want to create literally the thing that you want to do, even if it's strictly for novelty's sake, like right. you're saying with the GI Joe, then there, I would want to use nothing other than a universal system. Absolutely. You yeah, know? Space City Con that's coming up in uh, January, the first weekend of January in Galveston. I looked at the game schedule that they've got up so far. This is again uh, several weeks before, so they haven't finalized it yet. But there are it's basically half Pathfinder games because Pathfinder Society loves conventions, right? And it's half. Well, it's almost half Savage Worlds with a couple other things thrown in here and there because it's again, it's a system I can run this little weird one-off at a convention. Well, there's but there's a there's a perception though. This is this is kind of where I'm coming from. Those if if you were to look at a list of games to play in, at a convention and you saw what the game is about when it's a little listing and you also saw the game system and if those are wildly different, I think it would cause people to kind of have a what? Like if you were looking down the list and you saw GI Joe. And then mm-hmm. you saw that it was being run in Dungeons and Dragons. You'd be like, "What?" You'd, you'd be like, yeah, "Wait a second, it. really? Yeah, what?" Or if it, or if you saw uh, you know Shadowrun and it's using using champions, you'd be like, "Why are we doing you know? that?" I mean, you can. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's just it's. It, it would, seems a bit odd. Now, here, yeah. using that same analogy, if you were a player and you were looking at two systems and you saw someone was running a a you know a custom-made campaign that is high fantasy mixed with modern technology or a Shadowrun game, which one would you pick? Well, you know, it, it would depend on, you know, in that case it would just depend on what I'm looking for. Like, if I'm looking for a Shadowrun Shadow game... Shadowrun, because I'm a big fanboy. So I, I love Shadowrun, too, so right. there's that. But <laughs> Anyway. Or, if the, or even I'll even go so far as to do this. Would you do a D20 modern you know, zombie outbreak game, or would you play Outbreak Undead? Like well, if, if you you're running Outbreak it, I'm going to play Outbreak Undead. Okay. <laughs> if anyone's running it, I would be playing Outbreak Undead. Available uh, when is it available? Uh, oh, it's been out. It's on DTRPG. It's at every comic book okay. store. We, uh, we're in our, we're in our third RPG. Click on so. our affiliate link yes. at gamerstavern.org yes. to get Which your reminds copy me, now. I'm actually on DTRPG right now, and I'm seeing the Accursed Poker deck. It's really cool. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, that just got posted. That looks awesome, yeah, man. It looks really fun. Pretty I happy like with it. it. And the it's actually the, the one of the games that we're beta testing now. We're going to use drive-through cards as well too. So you need to let me know. How those card, how the card quality. Is. I, I sure so. will. I haven't actually seen them myself. My uh, uh, Melior VR, my publisher, um, yeah. John Dunn, he's got them in his hands, and I, I have not yet got them in my hands. So there you go. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, so yeah. So settings. Settings. Yeah. Let's talk <laughs> about. Well, let's, before we switch over, uh-oh. I kind of need to get another round real quick. Right. So we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. All right. It's break time. Have you been looking for a dark fantasy RPG setting? Are you interested in seeing a new take on the action horror genre? Then you should check out Accursed. Accursed is a setting for the Savage Worlds RPG created by me, Ross Watson, and my good friends Jason Marker and John Dunn. It is a world where the heroes are monsters who fight for redemption against the witches who have conquered their land. To find out more about Accursed, search for Accursed on drivethroughrpg.com. Accursed is now on sale there and in many other fine retailers for gaming PDFs. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy Accursed. Welcome back to episode 13 of the Gamer's Tavern with 
Ivan Van Norman, who's been helping us talk about kitchen sink games and settings. Yeah, kitchen sink stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Let's and eat we it. Had, uh, we had, in the previous part of the show, we just talked about uh, a bunch of settings, or systems, sorry, and we were about to jump into kitchen sink settings. Yeah, So because the, the distinguishing being that when we were talking about kitchen sink systems, we were talking about almost like a, a kitchen sink being more of a definition of a universal system that allows sure. you to, to do different genres and different, basically different scenarios, whether they be one-off or campaigns using the same system. So Abs- That's a great recap. Yeah. So, but now we're talking, I, about, now we're talking about settings. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> when you think of a kitchen sink setting, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I just think the first thing that comes to, to mind to me is just a system that is so detailed in their world building that uh, it almost leaves nothing to the imagination. Like, if you wanted to explore areas, like if you were to un- try to uncover areas, white or gray areas of your setting or of your of your game setting or scenarios you wouldn't be able to find it because there would already be at least a mention of it somewhere oh so you're you're talking kind of like um the third and fourth edition versions of the forgotten realms where there's just like no white space left no stone unturned yeah. when it comes to you know uh you know if you wanted to write a campaign that specifically dealt with the political you know intricacies of this tiny town that's out on like the western continent by the way, here's a write-up about it. Yeah. You know? I think that was actually how Ari Salvatore got started with Drist, was he kept looking at the map that they had given him and said, right. okay, I want to write about here. Well, so-and-so's writing about here. Well, I want to write about here. So-and-so's writing about here. What about this misprint that's up here in the corner called Tin Towns? Uh, well, okay, that's mine. Everyone that's say mine. the hell out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, makes, it makes sense because if you, you know, especially from probably his point of view, he's like, okay, well, if I'm going to establish myself as a writer in this area, I don't want to, eat, one, be stepping on anybody's toes, and two, I don't want to account for anybody's crap except for mine. Yeah. And then the second he book actually, he wrote, he started tromping all over Faerun, but... We, uh, we, we had a conversation a while back about building settings and things like that. And we talked about intentional white space, I believe. And that's true. And I, and I actually believe there's merit to that as well, too. You want to leave areas for your players to explore so that they have their chance at building amazing right. worlds as well, too. But at the same time, too, you can, uh, you know, the power of the GM can be that you can take all or nothing of what's a considered, quote-unquote, canon. Just because, you know, Pathfinder's really well-established setting and scenario doesn't mean I have to use any of their lore or any of their backgrounds. I can just use their character settings and yeah. and system. The know? thing is, I think most GMs always want to imagine that someday their home setting will be part of it, and they want to try and make it compatible. You know, that's always been my thought, too, is like, if I'm, if I'm going to run something, I'm going to make it as compatible well, as I can, a, just in as, case. As, a, as someone who grew up aspiring to get into the game industry, yeah, there's a little bit of that, but it's a lot more of... of Every single table you sit at, there's always going to be the one guy who's read every single source book, every single novel, every single short story, every single fan fiction based on that. And when you say, okay, when you guys get here, so-and-so says, well, so-and-so was actually over here at this point in the timeline because in this book, in this volume of this out-of-print cop, in this comic book that's been out for out of print for 10 years and it's worth $250 that I have three copies and then of. at that point that's all you a, have to do all you have to do is just say hey roll well, zero you know in this game this is what he says this is where I'm at and this is what's going on it's so. fair to say I don't envy Daryl's experiences with this game <laughs> <true>. right <laughs> well, and and I have to and this is a, maybe maybe a kitchen sink scenario is is a, or a kitchen sink setting is something that allows infinite white space like again 
we'll just go back to Outbreak for a moment. It's like that there's almost infinite white space in Outbreak because every single time you do a campaign, you're essentially starting with a blank page. It's like, sure. okay, well, are you... Because since you can play yourself in a character in your hometown, like, you know, your story can be Ross's setting. And does he deal with this type of zombie? This type of zombie is does does the gas station across the st- street explode when a tanker hits it? Or is it taken over by vigilantes this time around? Nobody knows because it's different every single time, you know? So That's I, interesting. Yeah. For so. me, when it comes to a kitchen sink setting, uh, I'm I have two things that pop immediately to my mind. One is Stargate, SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis. Okay. Are those role-playing games? No, they're TV shows. Okay. I thought but, they were Stargate. There, well, there were, there were role-playing yeah. games based on them, but there's, it's there's just, setting that's, the, I, that's the idea, and you'll get this a lot okay. in, uh, if I'm not, I'm vaguely familiar with these, but I think uh, the GURPS core setting is built along these lines. Uh, Rifts is kind of built on these lines in a way, where it the campaign setting world is built specifically so that there is so much stuff going on that no matter what you want to do within that setting, you can keep all the trappings of the setting, but still tell it in whatever genre you want. And that's where I get the SG one, the Stargate analogy is that you take the same characters and you can pop them into ancient Egypt, or you can pop them into Ah. Arthurian England, or you can pop them into post-apocalyptic cyberpunk Mm. world, and so on. So you can get that kind of thing. That's what I see. It's the tavern at the center of the multiverse campaign. Yeah, Sigil in Planescape, for example. Well, yeah, Uh, I think think we need to to differentiate, though, a little bit, because there is a difference between a setting... Admittedly, it's a very subtle difference, but there's a difference between a setting that is specifically built to incorporate all of these things into its core and a sort of meta setting that is kind of a layer on top of a bunch of existing worlds. Like, yeah, that's Spell, what was... Spelljammer and Ravenloft are really a layer on top of existing worlds. Yeah. They're, so... they're less a, 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 a coherent setting of their own uh, if, you, if you see the, the, the distinction there. Yeah, if you're, if you're talking about the dial, I would put Planescape at about like a the three or a four on that, in that it was meant to kind of... Unify this multiverse that they created with all the different campaign settings in second edition, but it was still its own thing, and it was a layer on top of things that already existed. The other example I had, though, was from some friends of mine who had a Kickstarter that they had to pull back on because they weren't getting backers, they were getting commercial offers. It's a proxy <laughs> army. Proxy army, these guys that did custom 3D printed miniatures in full color from mm-hmm. Sandstone, mm-hmm. which it was a really, really cool concept. The only problem was no one was backing the Kickstarter. They just kept getting companies coming up and says, hey, we want to pay you a couple of thousand dollars to custom print our line of minis. Right. Instead of, you know, people just wanting a, a, like five or six, seven for their role-playing game. So they had to suspend the Kickstarter to focus on the commercial things. And they, which is usually how come most... Back soon. They, 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 I actually talked to a gentleman in the 3D printing industry when I was mm-hmm. traveling to a convention... And uh, he says that 80% of the 3D printing business is in commercial sponsorship endeavors, um, a lot of it in advertising and PR, you know, and um, very, very... The first time I heard, I knew someone who did uh, 3D printing was a friend of mine that works over at Weta. 
yeah. in New Zealand. And they had one of the first ones out there. And he said it was one of the most insane things he'd ever seen, pushing a button and this computer file becomes a 3D prop that can well, then use in the movie. If we can print but, a kitchen sink setting with it, we would be talking more about it. But we're not. <laughs> right. yeah. But the, so, the, the, <clears throat> point, the point I was making, though, was to back up their ability to create anything, they needed a game to present as well. So they made a miniatures combat game mm. that had a world setting that was based on they tried to explain it to me and then i said there's a line from hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy that kind of sums this up more i believe it's from uh so long and thanks for all the fish but i'm not entirely sure but it's if the universe is infinite then that means that anything that is possible to exist somewhere in the universe does exist so therefore if you want a couch you can go to the planet where life is a vorm evolved to be couches and take one from there okay that was the line from Hitchcock's guide to the galaxy but it breaks up that idea of the universe is so big that everything exists within it well the thing I was and that's go the, with... the the setting they're going for that's what i think of when i think of kitchen sink is just multiple oh, possibilities with one setting and one set of, one set of characters well possibilities is part of it um for me like when i think kitchen sink i think mostly of tropes and genres that are mashed up or, or right next to each other. I like the idea of a kitchen sink setting that, in my head, allows you to play a you know a knight next to a cyborg next to a ninja, you know, and they're all part of the same group and they're all part have the same goals and they're running into yeah, enemies it. from you know they're running into common enemies as well as enemies from their own particular genres and tropes together. There's and, not really the many many systems that exist in that way, though. Like, I mean, even on both both of your explanations of kitchen sink, both sound like a very small majority of well, anything out there. There's the granddaddy of them all, in my opinion, is Rifts, and Rifts has been around since 1990, so 23 years. And that was uh, older than that. No, I did too, but it came out in 1990. And Rifts has, you know, it's 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 got a thing where the system is, is kind of really old and dated, but the setting is just a beautiful, beautiful thing, in my opinion. It's like a glowing jewel. And it's a very highly polished example of a kitchen sink setting where just all of these things are possible and all of them exist next to each other, and they're all part of this same coherent whole, rather than a layer on top of things. Although, yeah. Riff's one of Rift's strengths is that you can bring in guys from other games that Palladium makes, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Robotech, which is a very, very common one. So, so Rift's is, a, is one of my favorite examples of a kitchen sink setting, but there's other ones out there. Uh, Ross, what, what do you think as far as your definition of, of kitchen sink? What, what would you go out there that you think explains best your, you know, a, encompassing all settings and all places at all times? Well, that was more of Daryl's. <laughs> Oh, it's more of Daryl's. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was thinking specifically tropes and genres being able to exist alongside each other and working towards similar. I'm sorry. That's what I. That's what I meant. Maybe I didn't communicate that all the way. <laughs> okay. But yeah, the, the different tropes and genres being in a setting at the same time. Yeah, and 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 riffs is one of those that allows you to do that. So like, if I have a cowboy trope, I can play a cowboy who's also a cyborg. Okay. In Fair Riffs. enough. If I want to have a fantasy trope, I can be a wizard, or I can be straight-up elf, you know, from a fantasy world. Or I could also be, like, a techno-wizard who flies around on my telekinetic skyboard. Got because it, got they it. have any, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah, but the thing about... I mean, this is one of the keys, though, for, for uh, interesting settings to me, though, is that there are, like, different approaches to the character niche. Like, in Rifts, for example, there's psionics and magic and cybernetics, right? Um, there's another game I want to talk about called Torg, 
Are you guys familiar with Torg? Only no. from how much you've talked about it. Yeah. So Torg is a game, again, very similar <laughs> to Rifts in that it had a, a core setting, which was basically our Earth is invaded by other realities. So mm, okay. you have to play one of these guys called Storm Knights who have this possibility energy which allows them to travel between the different realms and carry stuff with them. So even though your computer shouldn't work in the Stone Age land, you you do you you have your computer and it still works because you are a Storm Knight. Hmm. And Interesting. In Torg, you know you can you have that same thing where I can play a guy from Core Earth, or I can play a guy from one of the invading realities, and we're all working together yeah. to stop the High Lords from just taking over Earth. Hmm. And so you can have this the cyborg next to the knight, and they have a, a system for uh, uh, spiritual magic, which is basically divine. And a system for regular magic, which is basically arcane, and they got cybernetics and um, just all kinds of different things. And they're all—that's the thing I think is cool—is it allows you to have your specific niches and, and mix them up, up together. Um, I ran a campaign called Shadows Angelus for a couple of years, and I based it very heavily on some anime that I've watched um, called Silent Mobius. Mm. Ooh. Yeah, that's awesome. Shadows Angelus combines cybernetics and psionics, uh, and which is called espers in that game, but um, and magic. And just like a whole bunch of things all thrown together in one big thing, fighting Lovecraftian demons invading a city in, uh, on the edge of tomorrow. So Bug City and Shadowrun? Well, it's not. It's it's <laughs> you're playing cops, so it's definitely not Shadowrun. Yeah. Uh, okay, you're the you're the Ares Firewatch team no, breaking up. No, no, no. You see, those are corporate forces. You're actually in Shadows Angels. You're actually playing for real. We protect and serve cops. Yeah. So big difference from Shadowrun. How dare you slander Firewatch like that? <laughs> Anyway, um, I would even go so far as to say that Warhammer 40k is actually, to extent, also a kitchen sink set. Um, because it does combine aspects of fantasy and science fiction together. It's really a space fantasy setting. Yeah, it's it, that, that's what we've been described of over the years. And I can see it a little bit, but it's so it's so heavily defined what it is. If, if you want to talk about something that's really, you know center of the multiverse type of situation that really like 40k is truly sci-fi and it's I, almost its own thing it's so yeah wonderful. you know and and that's where riffs is to me too is it's you know it, it almost transcends the idea of a kitchen sink setting because it's so coherently built together um, then is it truly time, kitchen sink then if that's the case because since they are kind yeah. of their own definition well i think you know i i think that some settings have room for you know, additional things that you create on your own, and I would say Rifts is one of those. Whereas 40K is a lot less tolerant to, you know, building in new creative stuff unless you're just right. incredibly in tune with the tone and overall approach of the game. That's right. not to say there's anything wrong with either one of them. Um, they're just different approaches. Right, exactly. Like, like Star Wars is a, is a setting that is pretty open. I mean, you can if, if you can have five different races of talking rabbits, which you totally can in Star Wars... <laughs> Um, you know, and you can pretty you? much do what you need. Yeah, and it, yeah. It, it, at this point, you have all the different planets. As soon as you start putting different planets, you can pretty much start playing the Star Trek route, and every yeah. planet can be a different reality in its own. This is the planet term, that's so. completely Robin Hood era, <laughs> right? And, you know, Planescape was the DD setting that also came to mind when I thought Kitchen Sink because, although Planescape is a layer on top of existing worlds uh, rather than its own thing. It was so creative in the cultures and the the tropes that it set up that it became so distinct and unique a place to adventure, while still incorporating you know uh, you could have you know dudes who were made out of you know gears walking around next to yeah. uh, a knight next to you know people who experienced everything through their their senses and were constantly looking for ways to expand their uh, 
their sensory experience, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, it was just so so open to different genres and tropes working side by side that I think uh, Planescape is a good example of this type of thing, even though, as we established before, it's not as high on that scale. Yeah, I right. really came into Planescape late in the game. I always, when I was growing up in D&D, I always thought D&D is fantasy, and anything that's not fantasy isn't D&D, so I rejected a lot of these settings that... Once I got older and started reading it, I was like, what the hell was I thinking, you stupid kid? <sighs> because a lot of them were really cool, and uh, Planescape, especially Sigil, was one of them, because this thing was basically the hub of all these universes, to where you could have, literally, Thor having an argument with Vishnu, having an argument with Vecna. Well, they would have to be priests at a table. Guys. The, the Lady of Pain would never allow other deities into Sigil, right. but yes. <laughs> well, in, uh, priests of those gods I'm talking about totally the, the spire. I'm talking about the Spire itself, not necessarily Sigil. I'm, I'm, well, still, I'm good, still learning about... All i got to say is good I'm luck still, for Vishnu I, and the other guy. I, I want to say, I'm, <laughs> I'm st I am still learning about Planescape. I came to it late. Uh, uh, Noah Antwaller, the Spoonie one, really got me hooked on it with his videos where he talked about his campaigns in it, and... The only thing that I really know about it is it kind of brought all these different worlds together and that it connected it does. every universe that was involved, including our literal, the planet we're living on right now, is connected to Sigil yes. in the cosmology there, along with the fact that thou shalt not fuck with the Lady of Pain. Yes, and that goes for gods too, which is the only reason I was bringing that up. That's, yes. and it's the only god in D&D I know of that, if you well, want to even call her, I wouldn't call her yeah, a goddess, say. <laughs> because she's the only, she's the only quote-unquote goddess, for lack of a better term, please don't smite me, Lady of Pain, that she will, if she has any worshippers, she will actually go and murder them for worshipping her. Well, punish. I mean, murder is too easy, but yeah. Uh, murder yeah, is too easy. Death okay, is way too... She's the only person who would go and maze them for yes. worshipping Well, her. maze is the most common, yeah. I've, I've, that's wonderful. Ross is tiptoeing around it so wonderfully. This is... Uh, it's 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 pretty hilarious. Um, <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm just having you guys talk about it. You're like and you know going to be instigating like divine wrath upon you at any moment. <laughs> it's going to just happen. Um, I, I have to tell you, like I, I listened to you guys and uh, talking about the, these open world settings, and I have to um, I have to admit wholeheartedly that I've uh, I'm just my my initial. I can see where the true love and like. A draw of being able to do the 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 covering the spectrum uh, comes into it, uh, or at least the the covering the entire spectrum of possible experiences that have ever been created ever, and having them all be side by side. But the first thing that really comes to my to my head is like, man, like uh, the the ability for players to have to be mature. And <laughs> and the ability for the GM to be balanced in that in those settings, it just seems it seems now exhausting. You know why no, that's I the challenge. Run too many of them <laughs> in no, my right. games. I think you nailed the biggest challenge with these settings is right. is maintaining balance um, because I, I I believe that's one of the core issues with rifts, for example, is is just the lack of uh, balance a core, a core balance yeah. for. I mean, but this is kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the, you know putting more on the shoulders of the GM on a social front. Because, you know, just, just like Rifts has issues with balance, it has issues with a, an adventuring paradigm as well. Mm -hmm. There isn't really uh, there isn't really a core D 
default, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Guideline. Right? There's no real guidelines for players and GMs without having the GM to go and create those guidelines in his world building. You know? Well, like, so. we've, we've talked about this before. Like, um, D&D has a very strong adventuring paradigm. There's right. a quest. You have to go right. on the quest to do something, right? Usually given by an old man in a tavern. Right. Um, or at the very least, hey, this thing has treasure. Go kill it and take right. its treasure. Shadowrun it. has an extremely strong adventuring paradigm. The Mr. Johnson hires you to do a job. Right. Uh, Dark, Dark Heresy even has a strong adventuring paradigm. The Inquisitor tells you that your mission is this. Right. right? So the GM and the For players... For God's sakes, Paranoia has a yeah. strong adventuring paradigm. Computer yeah. says you must do this. So so would you all, not these, like to do what computer says? Then you're games, a traitor commie. These games all have a thing in common where the GM... <laughs> And the players are all on the same page right from the get-go. Right. And that, that There's a reason to bring so them much. together. So. It, is, it streamlines so much to get right into the, the meat of the action, to get into the fun part of the game. And I think that's really... I mean, Torg has, has, it, uh, has this in, in play, where you're all part of what's called the Delphi Council. And the Delphi Council is the one sending you out on mission. So Torg has got that cover. Um, and Planescape uh, doesn't really... I think Planescape and... Uh, 40k. Well, other than the things we've already mentioned, um, but there's 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 varying levels is what I'm getting at of right. this kind of adventuring paradigm in these uh, in these settings. And I think you know, like you said, you, you nailed it. You nailed it on the head with the uh, the balance factor. Now, I would go so far as to say Torg is a little more balanced in terms of like the players that we're we're bringing to the table. But at the same time, Torg is a lot more. Uh, it's a lot less Gonzo than Rifts. Sure. Like, like riffs. I can be. I could totally be the guy uh, who is a cyborg ninja who with just dragon blood running right. through my veins. Right. I, I, I can even play a freaking demigod if I really want to. In this. Yeah. While you, if you want to play, you know, with me, you could be the adventuring scholar, or you could be the 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 you know the woodsman. And the difference in power level between us is significant. Significant. <laughs> between axe cutter. And yeah. demigod. And demigod. You know? Yeah. There's, there's, so there's going to be there's going to be some issues there, but uh, at the same point, it, it, there's something attractive to me about a game that is so gonzo that just has such a wide breadth of possibilities. Right. So is and, that is that maybe where the joy of um, the one-off and the ability for you to balance it because you're creating the characters, the predetermined paradigms beforehand. You know, removing well, removing not like full choice yeah. from it, but if you're essentially making a campaign. And you and you make fifteen characters, and you have your you know six players, and you're like, okay, pick one. <laughs> well, the thing is, I think. Well, I think the thing for me is like that. It depends on your. It depends on your players. Like I've had groups where I could get together and say we're going to play riffs, and it's okay to play whatever you want, right? Because right, those players are really good, and as you say, mature, and they're able to make decisions with each other. That from a social perspective, everyone's going to have a good time. Everyone's going to feel empowered to. They're going to feel like they participate in Yes, exactly. But there's also groups where that's not going to fly. Um, And, you know, this is where one-offs where I have pre-generated characters, so you can choose from the characters I'm presenting to you uh, is also a a big help. Um, So, yeah, obviously, I mean, not every group's going to be the same. Your mileage may vary. So if you had advice, and I guess this is what I'm getting at, if you had advice for a person who is getting into a kitchen sink setting and you wanted to say, hey, before you run your first setting, do this, what would you say to them? I would say have a very open discussion with your players and make it, try try to be as clear as possible about your expectations and try to get a clear reading from them about their expectations. So that you can all be on the same page together 
And when you're moving forward into the game, you can kind of say, well, remember, this is what we talked about. We all agreed this is the kind of game we wanted to play. Okay. And if that's you actually along, good GM advice across the board, no matter what you you're go. playing. I was yeah. going to say, that's, it says, sounds better. So what, an hour and a half in, we got our first piece of advice out to the <laughs> listeners out there. So, yeah. Well, if you're listening to this to podcast us. for advice, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, th- I think, I mean, not everyone, it, it, it is, it, you know, everybody has their style, so it's hard to teach, um, you know, but it's like acting. It's like everyone has a different way of approaching, you know, the same goal, which is entertainment. The, I think that's a fair piece of advice, especially for the open world, because I can see it if, like, if I wanted to run an open world system and I was going to go do that my first time at a con, I would definitely want to pick, like, the I'm predetermining the archetypes beforehand so that there isn't a balancing issue. Well, but the it, specific it, systems we're talking about, you kind of have to do pregens if you're doing it at a con because right. your entire time slot for the game would be taken up with taking, making a character. Well, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of systems where they were like an Iron GM situation where you have like five, you know, you're given like you know, a couple things to work with and go, you know. Well, let's, let's take a quick talk about what, another setting that I think is lower on the kitchen sink scale than some of the others we talked about, but it has a, you know, maybe if it's not as deep, it's definitely broader. Let's talk about the White Wolf World of Darkness. Uh, you know what? Thank you for doing that, because I was going to bring up World of Darkness. Absolutely. I at a, I, I'm kind of curious how you're seeing that as a kid. Uh, just to preempt a little bit, maybe to even guess what he's going to get at, um, is, is that the World of Darkness system, being so rules light, has adaptability to be able to do one different settings, even if it's the same tone. It's like, you know, the dark urban, or dark urban like horror or thriller even setting. This is that there are still source books out there that cover different time frames and the worlds are defined enough that you can have like the Justice League of, yeah. um, That's of characters at it, you know. And I'm actually it's it's funny because actually the last World of Darkness campaign I ran, I totally did a Justice League long term campaign where I had a mage, a werewolf, a vampire, and a um, and a hunter. Yeah, All that's, one that's exactly where I'm coming from. Okay, I'm curious. Else. New World of Darkness or Old World of Darkness? On that? New World of Darkness for me. Okay. So. I would not describe that as a rules light system, Ivan, but, you know, if that, if, <laughs> I, you know, it's, I we're would. all different, so, I mean, nothing yeah, I, 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 Okay, I think the, the, hold on, hold on. Go ahead. The yeah. guy who plays Rifts calls World of Darkness not rules light. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Well said. <laughs> I mean, it's, Sorry, Ross, but No, no, seriously? it's fair. It's fair. I'm not, the story, I'm not the storytelling system essentially is just a dot matrix. It's just di- it's just a dice pool. Like okay, even though even well, it's it's gotten a, it's it's not rules like compared to a lot of modern systems like Fate, which well, is pretty much there's almost no rules in Fate. But let's talk about the yeah. setting rather than the system anyway. Okay, so. sure. Um, so I so go ahead, Ross. You were the one that started off with World of Darkness. I I agree with you that I think it's lighter on the kitchen sink scale, but I definitely agree that there are vast merits in it. So what were you thinking? Well, I mean, you you hit it right on the head when you said the Justice League approach. Um, for me, I like the fact that because they're all... This is something that's almost unique, actually. Yeah. Is that White Wolf took all these different approaches. And, 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 you know, let's admit straight up that they are kind of within a narrow band of genres and tropes, which is the urban fantasy, urban horror style. But they did take that narrow band and they built a lot of little, you know, sandboxes right next to each other. Right, yeah. Where you had the werewolves had their little sandbox where they're, you know, fighting in the spirit world, and they have their, 
their planes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so. they have their spirituality, which is a big aspect. And the vampires have their sandbox, which is, you know, very rooted in, you know, kind of the real world. Right. And then there's the mages, which is, you know, rooted in, you know, well, the, just about everything. Yeah, the supernatal <laughs> you know? and they're on all their planes. It's funny because if you yeah. wanted to really run a Justice League, you're essentially working with five, four or five well, different planes of existence. And it always <laughs> it always bugged me, you know, I, there's no hate on this show, but if there was one there was one thing that disappointed me greatly about White Wolf is that there was never an opportunity to play the ghost in the Justice League, you know. Oh, well, um, no, I, I don't, I think, uh, what is it, Geist? Geist does. Well, well, maybe. Okay, maybe. Okay, so you know. new, world new world of darkness, darkness versus yeah. old world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, not fair in enough. the old world, but in the new world. Yeah, I guess there is a way. But okay, so if you, so if I can play a ghost in the in the new world of darkness and be part of your Justice League, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, they have. And what the, what is the new one coming out with? They're doing they're doing demon now, right? Isn't that currently? Oh the next God, one yes, the they're doing demon. Finally. Yeah, I think they're doing. I'm demon, so happy. Which is I, I loved it, Demon the Falling when it came out. And right. One, in my opinion, I, I've talked about this before on the podcast. I'm sure it was, in my opinion, one of the most underrated of the World of Darkness systems because White Wolf really did try to do the kitchen sink thing when it comes to urban fantasy. Anything that could possibly be urban fantasy, they tried to throw it in in the old World of Darkness, and they got a lot of mixed results and a lot of imbalance when you tried to mix and match. So that's right. a good question could... for Ivan: Is like, how did you, you know, how did how was your experience running the the Justice oh, League balance it was... and all that? It was wonderful. I loved it because I took them. I took them actually, and this is even worse. It was kind of corny, but I thought it was fun. Um, is I gave them all a common enemy that they were supposed to take down his pillars of power. Right. That's nice. the that's the overarching storyline. But they actually all got to it because they all had their own tendrils of how they're related to this pillar of power, and they all went through their their quote-unquote change, you know, like the wolf's first turn, the mage's ascension to his tower, you know, the hunter's um, essentially bid for going into his own clan. So they all had their own mentors of their various representation. Nice. So that's kind of how I made it happen, is they all had their anchor, so to speak, that routed them in their quote-unquote world, you know? So they, whenever they would come up, they would either get them for advice or gear or training or whatever <laughs> that was related to their individual book, you know? I'm did sorry. You, um, did you I'm sorry, there's, some, there's with... something wired wrong in my brain because the first thing I'm thinking about is paranoia and the uh, different secret societies. Well, oh, I was going to ask, was. There, did you have any issues like with combat where you found that maybe one guy dominated or in social no. issues or anything like that. Or... And honestly the the I made it uh, I made it pretty much so they only had like one or two encounters per session, you know. So they actually were very much and this is my group was a little more political. They're a little more heady than right. they were combaty. So I made the the combat was fine because they mostly dealt with whatever they did and they were so I would say they were so fresh to their turn that they weren't like you know, you know, super elder werewolves or like, you know, the oldest of oldest vampires. They were like, they were fledglings and, you know, new turns and brand new. So they all had minimal, they basically combined they were a stronger entity because they all had minimal influence over whatever their area was, you know. Right. But they were part of like a, essentially like a gigantic loose alliance between all the different creatures of darkness with their own political intrigues and wanting to like usurp power yeah. anyway but at least they had a loose alliance against this like common enemy you know? you know this is you know this is really kind of where i'm coming from with you know when i describe 
you know, mixing your tropes and, and putting things together and having that, you know, side by side of all these guys together. You nailed it when you said Justice League, but I would even go a step further. This is the thing I loved about the idea behind the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Right. Because each oh. of those characters had their own yeah. bad guys. Their they own had their history. own reasons. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. exactly. And that's so the you, best is when you, you expand have, everybody's yeah. world by mm-hmm. bringing them together. And the good news is that every that like um, the the major bad guy who they had to take down as pillars of power, each one of his uh, lieutenants or one of his like minions was a direct enemy of like a motivated enemy of one of the players that we set up early into the system. You know, yeah. Like for example, the the one um, the like the vampire character was betrayed um, really early into the system. You know, and now he's like he's like a lieutenant of of the major bad guy. So even, you know, even though she still hates and still wants to bring down this because she's a pawn of power in this whole scheme, she still has a focus in which to say, okay, I want to take down this guy, but this guy is my specific enemy that I want to that is like part of my campaign, my my character arc. Sorry, go ahead, Daryl. I didn't mean to interrupt uh, you. (laughs) No, I'm just I'm just saying. The second he said League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, that just like clicked in my brain. Okay, now I see as a kitchen sink thing because that's exactly what that comic book was. Right. Was kitchen sink in terms of 1800s horror fiction. And with World of Darkness, basically everyone except for Alan Quartermain and Lucy were the bad guys in their original novels. Yeah. In League of Extraordinary yeah. Gentlemen. Exactly. And in... World of Darkness, it's all monsters getting together to fight for the good in the world. Which How is you, also true for Cursed. I, oh, there you go. I see the light now. You guys are right. I was wrong. I, <laughs> I fully admit it. Oh, my God. I see what you're talking about now. We're all recording, right? We all got that? We all got it. Uh, hey, guys... I will gladly admit when I'm wrong, especially when it's something that awesome, where <laughs> I now see World of Darkness as a kitchen sink compared to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. As Come long on. as you have it there, right? Um, have you guys ever seen Hemlock, uh, that Netflix no, exclusive? I haven't watched it yet. Is Eli that what Roth. it was called? It was Eli Roth's Werewolf. Yeah, so and and that's kind of what like when I saw that Hemlock Grove, when I saw that series, and it was only one season, but um, when I when I saw it, it was like this is basically a World of Darkness campaign. It's just a huge glorified World of Darkness. And campaign. And I want to tell has, you right now, yeah, it has the best transformation scene I have seen oh, since American Werewolf. Since, in yeah, I would agree. Let's, it's wonderful. Let's so. uh, let's let's you know that I want to hear more about that probably after the show. But, okay. Uh, to, to keep it a little more on track with like role playing games, um, I'm going to say let's let's actually move on from World of Darkness a little bit because I think there's another way we can take a kitchen sink approach. Um, basically, there's a lot of games these days that are taking uh, a particular trope or a particular style and they're combining it with another one, and usually this ends up with the word punk attached at the end. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll give you an example. My friend uh, Michael Serbrook. Uh, mm-hmm. who's a writer for a number of uh, Hero System products and has worked on 40K with me in the past. He came up with a setting called Kaze 5, which he published for Hero System 6th Edition. And Kaze 5 is basically the Sentai style of anime mixed with Shadowrun, where there's a lot of uh, espers and, and high-tech and, and, and uh, cyberware and stuff like that. And he coined the term for his game, for, for his setting, I should say, uh, for Kaze 5 as anime punk. Okay. Yeah. Oh. That's what he called. Oh. You know, that, you know what that reminds me of. That reminds me of all the bands who are trying to like redefine themselves as a genre, so they'll just like make up their own word. 
well, for uh, what they are. Going on the record, Kaze 5 is freaking awesome. So oh, is it? I'm, I'm not yeah. talking bad about the system. I'm talking bad about just the word. The, the word. No hate. Well, I think, you know, in terms of descriptiveness, though, you know, in terms of just getting across the idea of what it is, you know, if you look at a steampunk project, you know what you're looking at. If you, if you hear, there's a new term called diesel punk. Right. That's going around. And it's yeah. also a way to combine mash genres together in a role-playing setting. Cause, uh, Quick side thing, is diesel punk like Mad Max? I've never been able to figure that out. Diesel punk's a little more like, it's more apocalyptic, wastelandy. Yeah, a little yeah. more Mad so Max. So Mad Max. Yeah, a, little a little more Mad Okay, Max. okay, okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure I was understanding like, that genre. It, yeah, so it, it's, it, it, would, it doesn't really associate itself with the Victorian stuff. It mostly yeah. is like, you know. It, you, I don't know if you ever saw that anime that was... Um, Jeez, what was it called? Fist uh, of the North Star? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, actually, I've only saw one. Yeah, I guess that would be about appropriate. I've it seen the a... whole series and all the movies. So okay. <laughs> if that's what Diesel Punk is, Got I it. apologize for interrupting. Go ahead. <laughs> so no so tell me about tell me about this system that you love, Ross, that I almost slandered without really knowing no, no, what no, it no. was. No, 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 no. Well, listen, <laughs> listen. You, know, you are entitled to your opinion, sir, and I'm not going to. Well, I, I don't even know what this system is, so I can't really say anything <laughs> bad a about setting. it without... It's a so setting, setting called okay. Cause A5, and it's it's basically if you took Akira and mashed it up with Bubblegum Crisis and Shadowrun, and, and that's your, your role-playing setting... That's basically what Cause A Five is all about. I would appreciate that. It's it's pretty cool. I mean, my okay, makers of Cause A Five. So. Uh, my email address is abstruse at gamerstavern.org. <laughs> if you would like to send a review copy yeah. of this game, just don't use the word punk in a hyphenated word. It was describe it to me, and we will be happy, people, because this sounds freaking awesome. Yeah, Akira is one in one of my top tens. So you yeah. know, the point I was trying to reach is that though that, that there's other ways to make a kitchen sink game really just by taking two or three i think probably your minimum's three tropes and put them in put them together and, and get them to work side by side in a coherent fashion and then you're going to have a kitchen sink setting so backing up a little bit would you call shadowrun and that really first edition leading into second edition era that where it was blending Fantasy plus oh, yeah. cyberpunk mean, no plus doubt. Lovecraftian with the insect spirits and everything. Would oh yeah, you call no, that? there's there's no doubt that Shadowrun's on that that dial. It is absolutely on hmm. the dial. Um, I think that Rifts is probably the ten. It's peg in the old. It's almost eleven. So, so right. Okay, yeah, and I actually uh, I I have a, um, an interesting thought. So with 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 based on what you were just saying, Ross, is like if you could just mix three tropes together and you could have the, the beginnings of a kitchen sink setting if you had to pick three tropes that aren't out there now to combine together what wow. would be what would be one that you would do like what uh, would I ross will, i would give i'll give ross a little bit of time to answer and answer do yours first because i have mine as well too <laughs> uh, i believe i just described it in <laughs> first edition Shadowrun with cyberpunk urban fantasy and lovecraft because I freaking love everything Nigel Finley did for Shadowrun, which you can find out about on episode 7 of the podcast, where it's absolutely nothing but a geek love fest for Shadowrun. Uh, yeah, I... That's it. I love those three genres and mash them together into Shadowrun. It's... All right. Now, I will I've got say my that, answer. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Ross. Well, I did the time-honored tradition of looking around my room, and finding <laughs> finding three things, and I'm like, okay, you know, let's see what we can do here. So I've got street level superheroes plus professional sports drama plus wow, yeah, plus uh, heaven and hell doing doing battle. 
Heaven so and hell. Daredevil awesome. is an angel playing football? Yeah. Dude, I would totally play that setting. That'd be amazing. <laughs> I want a blind quarterback runner that is also an ascent from either above <laughs> or below. Yes. <laughs> All right. So mine would be um, I'd want to do like a Hyborian Conan Ooh. setting All mixed right. with like a Starship Trooper sci fi, okay. you know, like, like colony exploration type of stuff with high fantasy dragons. So, dragon riders. Of course, it'd be a dragon. Of course, it'd be. right. They have to be. So, all right, well, that's um, interesting. You know, the, well, the, the Hyborian. You got me right off the bat with the Hyborian uh, uh, Conan plus space travel. I was like, oh wow, yeah, that could be some. You could find Hyborian some Hyborian Conan with space travel, but then they like you know, I I almost want to say like you could throw in like dragons are the form of like space travelers. Oh, of course, like, yeah, you, you know, gotta be a dragon. Of course, um, <laughs> uh, but I but the idea of like doing um like a modern like a Starship Troopers just I, I for some of I've always been about the swarm no matter what form of ever it's, it's ever come in a swarm is but always... you're not a you're not a Tyranid have... player I am a Tyranid player you are a Tyranid player okay there yes. you go <laughs> well we are getting close to last call here at the Gamers Tavern so last call. Probably probably talk to Ivan about what he's doing now, where we can find him on the internet, and what people should be looking forward to in the future. I'm, on the, I'm in the webs. You can sometimes find me on the webs. So, um, <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, I, I have a lot of things in the works at the moment, but a lot of them haven't come to, like, full surface yet. So, uh, I'll just start by saying that you can find me on Twitter at Hydra underscore Lord. I, you know, still spend a lot of time on there, and I have a lot of Twitter friends that I like to banter back and forth with, as well as I usually like to talk about role-playing stuff on there as well, too. Um, I did have a YouTube channel where I occasionally do videos about role-playing games and talk and just spiel. I actually did a, um, I was a, I had a guest spot on Geek and Sundry here not too long ago, Ooh, talking nice. about, um, talking about horror RPGs, so, so you can go find that somewhere. Uh, on the webs. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty much am there and I have a Facebook page, but you can just search Ivan Van Norman and um, I, I, I'm still on Facebook despite everybody leaving for good reason. Um, and so. we will have links to all the ways to reach him in our show notes. Right. But the the cool thing is, is that we've got a couple of games that we're working on for um, Gen Con this year with Hunter's Books. Um, one of them's a deck building game, like we were saying. One of them's a, I would say it's a rules light um, uh, kind of steampunk thing that we're doing that's um, inspired by Dishonored, you could Ooh. say. Oh wow, that's um, a that's a really good thing to base something on. <laughs> oh, I'm, and I, I Ross, I, I I want I really want to tell you more. I just didn't talk to the boys about it beforehand, but it's so like it's so um, it, it's it's just tactile and it okay. has stealth elements to it. That's just very. Uh, it's it's I I feel like it's a rich way to experience that like a stealth type of. A stealth type of um, game that has that type of setting inside of it, you know. Like, um, anyway, uh, then uh, we're working on more outbreak stuff. As always, we have a couple things that we're going to be announcing soon. We haven't officially said it yet, but one could say that we might be opening a beta up here soon. Now, when when is one of your products going to come with an infected monkey? <laughs> so we can did actually you, have an outbreak. Did you never? Did you? Okay, never, as uh, someone who just played Pandemic this weekend, don't right. say that. Did you not? We're uh, not gonna you, win. Did you ever um, pick up a uh, Wild Kingdom? 
we actually did our first expansion was an expanded bestiary oh, for okay. no, I and didn't it was see that. it's basically all the zombie animals it's, we called it outbreak <laughs> wild kingdom all right. and it had a it had a scenario in the back called the fair king zoo you know you sold me with the word zombie animals nice <laughs> they're pretty uh it's pretty atro- it's pretty amazing and atrocious like the rules that we have for ursa's just may as well be like ursa being a zombie bear you know yeah. may as well not exist it's i think it i think literally the rule is as if you're in grapple with it for more than two rounds, you're dead. You know? so... <laughs> well, and so um, that's pretty much what I have in place. I'm working on a, a site that is hopefully going to be a resource site for gamers in the hobby that um, I'm going to be talking about here soon. Um, I'm developing it with a couple of gentlemen right now, and we're I've talked about it in other podcasts a little bit, but it's essentially a resource site to help bring GMs and players together. Oh, neat. You know that would help me very much with my group problem. Well, I'm happy to talk it, and we can talk about it um, a little bit afterwards as well too. I'm just um, I'm trying not to until I have all my ducks in a row. I have all the domains registered, and I have the and I just need to come up with the last little bit so that I can throw the patent out there. But gotta I'm make really... sure all your T's are dotted and your eyes are crossed. Right, yeah, you I got understand. it. And so I'm and I'm very, but I, it's honestly like it's the thing that is I'm taking up most of my time at the moment. Um, so. Uh, so yeah, between all the hunter stuff and then that resource site, and uh, just making sure we're putting out free content on the first Friday of every single month for hunters is um, keeping me pretty busy. <laughs> wow, that's awesome! That, that is great to hear. And uh, you know, unfortunately, we got the uh, the innkeepers you know pointing to a, a wanted poster for a dragon and human form. I think that might be you. Uh, oh really? <laughs> but the thing is, is that uh, Daryl and I both are very grateful for having you come on board the the Gamers Tavern with us. Thank you so much for for joining us on this. Episode. No, thank you for the invite, gentlemen. It was um it was a wonderful surprise to get an email from you, and I am I'm I'm any day of the week you need somebody, I'm here. So oh, I had a blast. We would so. love to have you on again. Absolutely. So it's yeah, been we'll, a blast we'll talking with you. <laughs> with bells and whistles. All right. <laughs> Cool. Well, gentlemen, uh, kick ass and have a glorious rest of the holiday season. I'm hoping you're going to get tons of games and, uh, you know, play them more importantly. You could probably get games all the time, but actually spend time to play them <laughs> yep. would and be for, a novelty. For all of our listeners who are uh, gaming over the holidays, may all your hits be crits. So that wraps things up for the Gamers Tavern this week. Uh, since we didn't get to do them last week, I wanted to go through a few of our comments. And we actually have Ross with us today to go through the comments. Hello. So let's start on Facebook, where you can reach us at facebook.com slash gamers tavern. And we've got a comment here from the Grumpy Celt, or the Grumpy Celt, I'm not sure how he pronounces it. He says, best wishes to you gentlemen in the new year, an enjoyable and solid episode. I have submitted freelance submissions to FASA, they ran a call that ended the last of November, I am writing a submission for Onyx Path, but everything the guest said was useful and insightful. And obviously this was about episode 12 where we talked about getting into the gaming industry our last episode, and obviously he's talking about the new FASA that is relaunching Earth, Dawn, and not the old FASA Corporation that we know from our youth, so... Uh, but yeah, we're glad to help you put your put you on the path to the gaming industry. <clears throat> and we got another comment from him, and it's actually on episode 11, which was the first of our D&D Edition Wars episodes, where he said, <clears throat> So I listened to your latest episode 11 about editions, and as 
time traveler, I will have you know that 6th edition is worse than 4th, but 7th edition brings peace and harmony to the entire solar system. Uh, joking aside, it was a good episode. Kudos for recognize Arneson. <clears throat> so, yeah, I'm a big Arneson fan, so he is far too unhelded for his contributions to role-playing games in general, in my opinion. So, I'm glad we brought him up on the episode. So I'm glad you listened to the episode, and I hope you're looking forward to next week, where we post the second part of our 40th anniversary discussion of Dungeons & Dragons. So, Ross put a post on his personal Facebook asking for suggestions for what topics we should cover in 2014. And I'd like to throw that out to you as well, our audience. Uh, If you have any topic suggestions for 2014, let us know by commenting on GamersTavern.org or on Facebook, Google+, Twitter, anywhere else you can find us. And of course, you can email me at abstruse at GamersTavern.org. No promises that we'll actually use whatever you send us, but we are really excited to find out what you want to hear anyway. Of course. And we did get two comments that may have been a little bit self-serving in a way. Uh, We got Bobby Deary, who suggested we talk about Eclipse Phase. That's a great game. We should definitely talk about Eclipse Phase sometime. Yeah, we definitely should, but uh, again, to... Give a note, uh, Bobby Derry is also known as Ancient History. He was a former Shadowrun developer, and he has written a blog recently that's actually really, really cool. He wrote a post a day about Eclipse Phase on his blog. So he just finished that back in 2013. It was literally 365 different entries on Eclipse Phase on his blog. So definitely check that out. I'll include a link in the show notes. Uh, We also had a comment from Daryl Hardy, a former and future guest, who offered up Robotech. Gee, I wonder, Ross, are we going to talk about Robotech on any future episodes ever? Yeah, I I certainly would like to. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Robotech in general, and I have a lot to say about the RPGs of Robotech. So yeah, I think it's safe to say we're going to cover that. Probably, yeah. Asking if we're going to talk about Robotech is like asking if we're going to talk about Shadowrun again in the future. So, but uh, yeah, we're something tells me both of you are going to get your wishes very, very soon. But if any listeners have any other suggestions, feel free to let us know. <clears throat> so now over to comments from our website, GamersTavern.org. We've got James about the YA series that uh, TSR and... Uh, was it Lorraine Williams? Yes. That, okay. Tried to publish and that caused the big breakup. Uh, but he said, <clears throat> about the YA for the girls that TSR tried to publish, are you talking about the Heart Quest Choose Your Own Adventures? They came out in 1982. I own these as well. The Choose Your Own Adventure books by Rose Estes were called the Endless Quest series. She wrote books 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 10, and 13. The artwork covers a lot of the books were done by Larry Elmore. Um, That's not the IP I was thinking of, because this was, again, toward the end of TSR, so it was more toward the end of the 80s, and it was something i think she bought it either before or after she took over tsr but it was something that uh williams owned um it was something really girly and really 80s like my little pony or jim or something like that Uh, did you ever have any idea what i'm talking about on that ross 
No, I'm afraid I don't recall that either. Although I do remember the rest, the uh, Heart Quest, uh, Rosesta stuff, and I thought those were really interesting books. Yeah, it's just not something I ever found really, so I'm not sure anything about that. But it's that is whether or not that property is good. It, I that is definitely not the one I'm thinking of. But I really thank you for your comment. I really appreciate the feedback on that. And if it was the one I was thinking about, I would be seriously screaming at this guy. Yes, finally! Because bourbon's kind of soaked my brain and my memory's not what it used to be. So, uh, but yeah, uh, that's all the comments we have for this week. Uh, if you want to leave your own comments and have them read on the air, you can give us your feedback on our website at GamersTavern.org. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash GamersTavern. Tweet us at Gamers Tavern PC, as in podcast, or you can review us on iTunes. Now, I'm going to be at Space City Con this weekend in Galveston, Texas, at the Moody Gardens Hotel, and I've got a little surprise for our listeners if you happen to track me down there. And you can find out more information at SpaceCityCon.com. Uh, and Ross, where are you going to be recently? Recently? In or the soon. future. I am going to be, <laughs> in the near future, I am going to be at uh, Genghis Khan, which is in Aurora, Colorado. And even more recently in the future, uh, that is probably just a couple of weeks, um, is going to be Chupacabra Con, which is at the uh, Airport Hilton in Austin, Texas, my hometown. Mm-hmm. And I'm lo- really looking forward to both of those. Yep, and Chupacabra Con is from January 17th through 19th. And you can find out more about that at chupacabracon.com. And dear God, that's a tongue twister. <clears throat> Uh, and Genghis Khan is going to be in Aurora, Colorado from February 13th through 16th. And I saw your schedule on Facebook, Ross. You are running way too many games. I'm only running three, actually, but I'm playing in six. So it's nine games total. That is uh, one of the reasons why I love Genghis Khan. I get to play and run in a, and do both a lot. So. I could have sworn there was like 15 entries on that thing, man. <laughs> But yeah, if you want to play a game with Ross, definitely go to Genghis Khan. Uh, And you can find out more about that at denvergamers.org. And that pretty much wraps us up. Uh, Gamers Tavern is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial, no derivatives 3.0 license. And check us out next week where it's just going to be Ross and I again as we finish up our retrospective on the father of modern role-playing games, Dungeons & Dragons, as we talk about the Wizards of the Coast era. Yeah, and we get into a little bit of a discussion over which ones are individual favorites. It's fair to say that we have some disagreements on that, but that's kind of the whole point of the episodes is that it's okay to disagree. It's okay to like different things. And we recorded that a couple of weeks ago, and Ross is still talking. So, yeah, you can disagree and have your own opinions and not want to, you know, stab each other. It doesn't destroy friendships necessarily. (laughs) (laughs) So we thank you for joining us at the Gamers Tavern, and until next time, the tavern is closed.